Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. Phoenix team. Uh, she'll be with us just after 10 o'clock. Great start last week. Uh, another challenge this week. Uh, James Regan and Kimberly Downs are on the panel. Uh, we're going to go back to Clado, I think. Uh, Louis has an important lunch date and he's uh, shelved us, so we'll go back to Clado, I think, for um, our little bit of a racing update just before 11 o'clock, visit to the TAB. And uh, Jacob Spoonley uh, will be in Ricardo's uh, slot talking about the beautiful game as well as uh, pacing for purpose and uh, lots of response for you, we hope, throughout the morning here on SENZ. Sport is our religion. And here is Smithy's Sermon. Yes, I think we can safely give Pat Cummins a solid pass mark for his first day in charge of the office. Even a lost toss couldn't put a crumb of pressure on him in Australia's top sporting job. A cap full of wickets to end an abbreviated day and the stock standard headline dragged out yet again, Aussies in charge at the Gabba. Uh, But what of Joe Root's bizarre decision to gift back the advantage of winning the toss and put his side under all the pressure? I mean, they've had no batting practice. Why would you put the batsman in those conditions under siege yourself? Quite staggering. Match-defining perhaps, probably series-defining as well before a ball was even bowled. Are the Aussies that clever they sent a bogus weather report to his phone only, or did he read too much into the old adage, when in Australia, bat nine times out of ten, and the tenth time, think about bowling, but bat anyway. Didn't work. So unless Root's bowling brigade... Surprisingly, too, in those conditions without either Broad or Anderson for the first time since forever ago, unless they can return serve straight away today, this one is done and dusted. Anything but done and dusted, though, is this ongoing feud, and it is now, between Grant Dalton's Team New Zealand and a large faction of the Royal New Zealand Yacht Squadron. The AGM tomorrow night could well be the best show in town. The Kiwi Home Defence Group, or is that Dad's Army, are adamant that the money is there. And if it is, and assuming the wind and the water don't go away, what's the problem? Auckland needs it. Auckland deserves it. Part and parcel of the waterfront development, particularly that viaduct hub. The problem now seems more likely to be one of clashing personalities than funding deficits. And Grant Dalton's gone plenty of rounds before in that particular fight. Unfortunately, though, this saga, if it's not resolved shortly and the cup competition does not stay here on the Waitamata, the groundswell I'm sensing is that win, lose or draw, the America's Cup will no longer be New Zealand's Cup and Team New Zealand will be in name only with a crew of eight and not five million. Well, it's 
Silver Ferns defender Sula Fitzpatrick topped off a massive year by winning the Dame Lois Muir Supreme Medal at the Netball New Zealand Awards last night. She captained the Northern Mystics to their first ever ANZ Premiership title and was elevated to the vice-captaincy of the Silver Ferns. And uh, we're pleased to say that uh, Sulu joins us uh, now. Good morning to you, Sulu. Uh, the morning after, the night what? before. What what a fantastic achievement. You must be absolutely thrilled. Oh, thank you. Uh, yeah, had a big night last night uh, getting the kids to sleep and in bed <laughs> uh, before 10, <laughs> but uh, uh, feeling very grateful. How did how did uh, your family react? Because um, you know it's it's pretty much an inclusive award. Uh, it's a big it's a big crew you've got there. A massive crew. Um, I think oh, much the same. I think um, my, my children uh, uh, just were just they were more concerned about what was for dinner. Um, but uh, <laughs> my family are very proud, um, and I think more so because they know it's been a. A collective effort, um, and it's been a very, very long journey. So, uh, yes, very happy. What a year! I mean, Teresa wins the gold medal at the sevens. You win the star uh, Dame Lois Muir medal for the supreme award. Man, uh, Fitzpatrick family have had uh, a golden year. <laughs> uh, I think sport um, comes and go- you know comes and goes with its moments. So we're really enjoying this time, um, but I think it's probably more a reflection of years of of the tough stuff and the hard grind. Um, and that's not just for us; that's for a lot of people and a lot of um, not just athletes, but a lot of families. Um, so we're really enjoying the moment, but also understand that it's just a moment in time. And um, so looking forward to working really, really hard to make sure we can be better for next year. Well, Sula, you're a great story because uh, you've been very open and honest about... You, you've had your struggles with, with certain things uh, away from uh, netball, of course. Um, but but you've, you've come out uh, the other side of it, which is great. And, and we continue to hear on a day-to-day basis of problems, uh, particularly with uh, women, sportsmen, women sporting people. So uh, I think you must be very satisfied that, that you're able to make that journey through. Uh, yes, very grateful. Um, and sport is, uh, like I said, it's, it's n- generally never a fairy tale. Um, it looks nice and uh, glamorous for some on the outside, but a lot of the time, it's it's full of a lot of um, a lot of struggles. And I think for myself as well, so many self-imposed and um, self-imposed issues off the court. Um, so I think it's a reflection that you know it. If you just keep getting up and keep trying, you um, and I, and with the support of a lot of people that that you don't know what's going to come next. So I'm really proud um, in terms of where this journey is at the moment, um, but also understand that it, it's, there's been some tough times. And I think it's really important that people are learning to share share their um, not just the good stuff, but also share their struggles, and and for people to know that it's it's not all glamorous and but also to understand that there is a way out and a lot of that comes with sharing and being open and vulnerable. So, yeah, I mean, like a lot of people, you, you reached a point where you could have gone either way, I guess. I mean, even uh, Israel Dag that works for us, uh, he, he's a youngster. He said, I could have gone one way or the other and thank God I chose the right way. What was the deciding point Do you can you remember that said, I've got to go back to netball, I've got to go back to team? Uh, I think there's a there's uh, probably at 25 was when I personally made that decision to 
to make those changes. And it's probably more lifestyle changes um, off the court. Um, a lot of the time I was relying on things like alcohol and food to, to fill that void that that was a, that where I was struggling within. Um, but before that, um, it was definitely a village effort. Um, so had it not been for my family and close friends and a lot of mentors, um, then that journey would have ended uh, many times. I'd say there's probably three or four times where I was ready to retire or um, not going to be selected for a team um, in terms of my mm. career. So um, that's a reflection of them, their support. Um, and like it definitely takes a village because no athlete um, has been successful without a good village. So I'm really, really um, grateful for them. I mean, you've just gone, not come back as a participant, though, you've come back as a leader. Uh, you know, you've made uh, the complete uh, turnaround, and yet you're now uh, in a position of authority, uh, of leadership, of guidance. So, uh, and that's even, I think, a, 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 a crowning glory on the story. Oh, thank you. I, I, I'm learning about a concept called fellowship. So, I'm learning to embrace that and understanding that everyone has a role or a time to leave, um, but also um, understanding that the best way is to, to bring out the strengths in others and to really embrace that. So, I'm hoping that people learn to actually see that value in themselves because that's something I never saw for years and never mm-hmm. really embraced. Um, so um, we're really working to to encourage that and for girls to and women to just back themselves and put their hands up and be proud of who they are rather than shying away and hiding from their strengths, um, but instead um, learning to express it and, and share it with, with others, not just on the court, but also just in life. One of the great things about this award, the Dame Lois uh, Muir Medal, uh, Sulu, is, uh, is the fact that it's voted on by coaches and your peers, your fellow players. I think that probably makes it even more special than perhaps a, a judging panel of journalists, etc. Um, it, it, it's really important um, for me to acknowledge acknowledge the team, and I think it's a reflection of uh, the values that Knowles has in, installed in the team, um, and which is pure values, and understanding that everyone has value and everyone. Everyone has their strengths, and she welcomes us in our goods, bads, and uglies. And I'm really grateful that the team loves me for my uglies because there's a lot of them. Um, mm. So I love being a part of this team, um, and I also am really proud to wear that silver fern. Okay, well, speaking of that, uh, Sulu, it starts again with a, a camp coming up next week uh, as you begin uh, a whole new season with, of course, the Commonwealth Games in mind. A lot of uh, netball. Before that, though, so you, are you ready to get kick-started again? <laughs> yes, I, I'm definitely ready. I've got a lot of fire in the belly. Um, the goal is to just take it moment by moment because, um, you know, cause if I look too far ahead, I might get a bit too ahead of myself. So take it moment by moment. Uh, working into camp next week, so that should be fun to see everyone in person and to just um, for everyone to push each other to put their hands up to see who can go to January. Um, and then for all of us to battle it out to bring out the best in each other leading into that com games. I think it's going to be really tight, the competition, and it's going to be really tough, but I'm really happy that um, whoever's meant to be there, um, that we can push each other to get um, the right people there um, in August. Well, as soon as you've uh, finished your your Christmas dinner this year, you're basically uh, off to London for a quad series, four games in five days, England... uh, 
Australia and South Africa. If you want competition, you can't ask for much better than that. Uh, yes, uh, looking forward to it. It's, it's, it's going to be really nice to get some internationals and to get it all in one week. Um, I think it's going to probably be a shock to the system, but um, also something that we really look forward to. Uh, we've probably got a lot, of, as athletes, we've got a lot of pent-up energy and um, competitiveness that we haven't really been able to unleash, so I think that's going to be really fun um, in January, but also it's going to be a good gauge of where we're at um, in the build-up um, into the Com Games later in the year. Where do you think you are at? Uh, you know, we, we've only really got uh, the series against the men and uh, the, the very quick series against England to reflect on in terms of international netball lately. Uh, where do you think you've finished up Thanks. 2021 at, as a unit? I, I feel that we're in this transition phase, so I'm really happy with where we're at right now. Um, we're not at our all-time best, but we're at our best right now, and so we're really embracing that and understanding that uh, there's going to be a bit of teething in terms of um, people getting comfortable with being in the international series, also embracing the pure values and seeing what that looks like for this group in this moment of time. And um, we're looking forward to welcoming back our mums, our mamas, um, so they'll bring another another level of not just experience but also nurturing um, for those younger players. So really looking forward to seeing what the mix of uh, what that mix looks like. Well, a competition, it's the competition. You're talking about the likes, of, of course, of, of Kayla Johnson, Phoenix Caraca. I mean, that's just going to add uh, a competition, a lot more experience into the competition for places, and surely that's a very, very healthy thing. Oh, yes, and I'm also really happy for them. They're good friends of mine, and I grew up playing with them um, when we were young kids. Um, so to see them um, not just flourish as mums, but also to make the decision to come back I think is really important and it's also uh, I think it's a good precedent that we're they're laying for other people who want to be mums and athletes because it's quite it's different for you know men that play sport um, it's, it's, it takes a lot, lot out on the body and um, so to see them come back and come in form I'm really looking forward to it and I hope that they put their hands up next week and get that opportunity to uh, be back in the break dress. Sulu, we live in uh, weird times, of course. We've all gone through the, the COVID procedure and now we're going through the, the VAX, the anti-VAX procedure. Uh, and, uh, of course, um, it's, a, it's important, I think, for role models and, and people in, um, in profile positions to, to make a, an open stance one way or the other on that. Um, what, what about your stance uh, on that from, you know, from a mother's point of view, from a, you know, if, you know, from a teammate's point of view? How do you view it? Uh, uh for me, uh, I, I am vaccinated and I made that choice uh, with the uh, help of a lot of people. I was quite hesitant to begin with, uh, but I, mm. I genuinely feel very strongly that it's a personal choice. I um, mean, that people, I do feel that people have the right to, to make an educated and informed choice for themselves, and I don't feel that it's my job to tell anyone what they have to do that's right for them. I do encourage people to to find, you know, to do their research and also um, to reach out to people that, that I guess, are experts and so that they can make a good decision for them and what's right for them and their family. Um, and so I'm just hoping that regardless that we're all just being kind to each other because I've seen a lot of division uh, between mm. people. So I'm hoping that we remember that we're people first and I feel really strongly about that because it actually really hurts my heart to see that 
people are turning on each other, um, not just in the sport, but just in life. So uh, first and foremost, just to be kind to each other. Um, and yeah, I think that's probably the best thing we can do to keep each other safe and, and just in general, just be happy. Hey, look, Sulu, really wise words. Uh, appreciate your sentiments on, on that issue because it's not an easy one, but thank you for, for that. Uh, congratulations. A- absolutely amazing achievement to, to really to be a Crown New Zealand's Premier Netballer of the Year. It's, 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 it's a great story, and uh, I congratulate you for it. And I, I thank you for your time this morning. Uh, all the best next week when the girls get together, eh? Oh, thank you for having me, uh, and hope you have an awesome Christmas. Uh, and you too, you too, a great family Christmas. Thank you so much. Uh, 9.19 here on SCNZ, delightful, absolutely delightful, fantastic story, absolutely fantastic story, and uh, well done to Sulu Fitzpatrick, who is the winner of the Dame Lois Muir Supreme Medal uh, for this year at the awards last night, the Netball Supreme Awards last night. Great story. Uh, look, in terms of uh, what we're going to talk about today, what do you want to talk about today? The Ashes, obviously. Um, was it a complete and utter muck-up, uh, to be polite, by Joe Root? Did he just absolutely not look up? Did he not look at the forecast? Did he not look down at the green nature of the pitch? Did he not think about the fact that his batsman ha- had had no practice, no real match practice? And who would, what would you rather do would you, you know, from a batting point of view? Uh, did he t- consult with his top order and say, well, what do you think? Um, bowlers, what do you think? Would you like to bowl on this first? Uh, I, I, don't, I don't quite get it really in a... In a decision of that significance uh, maybe he was sucked in by decisions gone by but certainly you've got to judge the conditions on the day the other thing where perhaps you could come in have you had a guts full of this uh, America's Cup what is your view on it uh, is it New Zealand's Cup still uh, if it goes overseas will you be interested in it will you support it to the same level will you be that interested uh, or will you just say um, it's no longer ours it, it's just a trophy we used to have our name attached to but because we don't want to have it here uh, we're not going to take part in it. So what is your uh, sentiments on that? Because it's, it's getting to um, the climax of, of having to make a decision. And this AGM tomorrow at the Royal New Zealand Yacht Squadron, I think the sparks are going to fly big time. If the press are there, I hope they are, because the stories will come out of it. 9.21 here at the moment on SCNZ. Smithy, this is Mornings with Ian Smith on SCNZ. It's 9.26 here on SENZ and our good friend Charlie has called in from uh, Geraldine via um, Newcastle. Um, but um, Charlie, what a, what a riveting great day that was for English cricket yesterday. You must have been absolutely enthralled by it. Oh, it was fantastic, mate. I'm sitting there with a Kiwi hoping to God that they score more than 62. Maybe more than 26, first of all, and then more than 62. Um Hey, mate, uh, hindsight would be a wonderful superpower to have, but I just wonder if Burns had managed to clip that down past the keeper to find leg for four. What would Cummins have bowled next? I'm sorry, what would Stark have bowled next? Would it have been a different game? But And as far as Root, he did justify it, because I heard the toss on SEN, which is fantastic, being able to listen to it on the app. And, and Root did justify his reason for batting first. Um, hey, I, I don't know, Burns, that's his sixth. I think that's his sixth first ball or his sixth duck is an opener. Um, I'm not sure what the record is, but he must be pretty close. Yeah, uh, for me it was uh, it was a very defining moment because if Australia did look to have a weak link in their bowling attack, it was a down on confidence, down on performance, Mitchell Stark. And I think you saw from his reaction 
what it meant to Stark personally, but the, his fellow teammates as well. It was just, it was just awful from England. It could not. I mean, it just simply could not have been worse. Absolutely, and what was, what was really interesting as well, I mean, I'm not a huge fan of Ian, Ian Healy, but he said it was really good that, because Stark's normally second up, and Cummings gave him the ball to open the innings, um, so that must have given him a little bit more pep, and the rest is history, but for Cummings to get a five for as well, mate, you couldn't, you couldn't strip right a better Ashes opening day for the Aussies, but it's not over, um, if they can destroy us for 145, if, if, if their bowlers get their way, and it's going to be a bit green, maybe the overcast again. First 30, 40 overs. If they don't get four or five wickets, then it's probably going to be Aussie's game. But we'll see. It's a, it's a funny game, cricket, eh? Oh, it's, a, it's an amazingly funny game. It's one of the great sayings in, in all sport. Cricket's a funny game. But uh, thanks very much for your call, uh, Charlie. Appreciate it. Uh, it was a tough day for you yesterday. Uh, I'll tell you who wouldn't have mind bowling on that yesterday was Jimmy Anderson uh, and Stuart Broad as well. And uh, they wouldn't mind bowling on it this morning either. Uh, regardless of what the weather's like over there, I understand it could be a bit tropical, this test match. In other words, the weather might come in on more days coming forward. So that'll be interesting to keep an eye on. It might be uh, a test match that uh, goes longer than you think because of those interruptions. But at the moment, uh, England, if they don't get uh, three, four, five wickets in the first session, you kind of feel uh, they're going to be a long way behind when they bat again. A couple of texts have come in. Harrison Marker has come in and said, more of Sulu, please. Take a second to listen and uh, then provide a full and fruitful answer, not just the media trained, yes or no. Harrison, absolutely yes. Uh, I think that was an outstanding interview, and I'm not saying that because any of the questions uh, uh, were delivered or, or whatever. I, just the answers were outstanding. Uh, and the way that she went in a considered, experienced way to explain her situation, she didn't shy away from any of the issues. Um, she gave an honest answer to everything. And she is, uh, like a lot of the, the ladies that we have interviewed on this show in the last five months, an inspiration to a lot of men who follow this absolute path of don't say anything uh, controversial, be, don't, be, uh, do, don't upset anybody, don't give any information out, or don't even think about uh, giving any information out. Uh, and I think that was highlighted too uh, with our interview with Brad Moore. Compare the Brad Moore interview um, and uh, compare that to... Uh, that one we just had with Sulu Fitzpatrick, daylight, absolute daylight between them. Zaid has come in and said, good morning, Ian Smith. Uh, me, Zaid here. Australia, phenomenal with their bowling against England and Ashes yesterday. Uh, what are your thoughts on Harris being the new Warriors captain for 2022? Going to get onto that uh, shortly as well, Zaid. Uh, and a lot of COVID cases at Tottenham Hotspur. Great to see Tiger Woods is going to play golf for the son, Charlie, again. Yeah, and that's next week. Remember the great uh, shots we saw in the great... Uh, uh, story really of, of he playing with his uh, young son Charlie last year Charlie's another year older another year stronger he probably will dominate he's probably played a lot more golf than Tiger has lately uh, so uh, the, the eyes of the world of course will be on that uh, during the next week in the world of golf 9.30 here on SENZ Newstime How we have waited collectively for this series to begin it echoes around the Gabba as the all-clear is given and a nation turns its eyes to Mitch Stark. The Ashes summer of 21-22 gets underway as Stark roars in and bowls to Burns. He oh. bowled in first ball! <laughs> Mitch Stark serves notice! <laughs> and Ashes can be defined by the first delivery! 
And Stark has bold burns on the leg stump around his pads. That's the anti-Steve Harmison ball. That's the complete opposite. Yes, it was on leg stump, but it was always going to swing and burns. I reckon that's the last possible ball he pictured he would receive. First ball, day one of the Ashes at the Gabba. And I reckon great initiative. They're just checking the new ball. No, that's fine. Good initiative from Pat Cummins to actually give Mitchell Stark the first over too. But it's Stunning swung. Stunning. Unbelievable. Hold him around his pads. First ball of a test match. Incredible, wasn't it? Incredible start to the test match. Described beautifully there by uh, Jared Waitley, our friend, uh, our colleague from the SEN commentary team in Australia. Uh, uh, Jared, uh, good morning to you. Uh, You cannot prepare as a commentator for that kind of thing. So, man, it caught everyone by surprise. But what a start. Smithy, it's a a once-in-85-year event in the Ashes. It's a bit like Haley's Comet. So you know what it's like as the anticipation builds and usually it's a well-pitched-up delivery outside the off-stump, left alone and through to the keeper and everyone takes a breath and steps themselves. Mitch Stark does have a habit of taking a wicket in the first over, but that it would happen with the first ball, uh, it's, yeah, I mean, and it quickly defined the day. Uh, Two sessions of play only, but that was enough for England to be bowled out for 147. And there's a thesis in the analysis beginning with Joe Root choosing to bat at the toss when every instinct in his body would have been to bowl, but history says you can't do that. The top order, the, the tale of two captains, Joe Root makes a duck. Pat Cummins takes five wickets in his, in his debut day as, as captain. But this was, you know the gather and you know how it can ambush visiting teams. Well, this was just about as complete an opening day ambush as you could get. I, you know, I've, I've played there, I've commentated there often, and uh, you know the, the storms do come, uh, and they are, are pretty devastating when they do arrive, uh, and they can at some stage curtail quite a lot of the day's play. I, I've always thought, of, uh, Jared, in my, my experience there, if you're going to get a full day's play and it's going to be relatively fine uh, as the day goes on, um, I, I think you look more seriously at batting. But if you're going to have an abbreviated day on a greenish pitch, uh, and know that uh, your bowlers aren't going to be taxed, they're going to have a break at some stage, why don't take all those advantages in your favour? I, I, I'm, I'm struggling to work it out. I, I hear Ian Healy say before the game, bowl. I hear Mark Taylor, Alan Border saying, bowl. And these are the guys for years that have said bat. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so my feeling 24 hours out from the start was both captains in their heart would have been feeling like they wanted to bowl. But the conventions of cricket are just so um, so restrictive that you almost can't do it. So Mike Atherton's part of our SEM test coverage, and he spoke about Len Hutton and Nasser Hussain. So the two captains who sent Australia in and it ended disastrously. And for Nasser, it is, it's a standing joke in all of his commentary. He's needled with it almost every time he's on television. And it's sort of the ultimate cautionary tale. But what it becomes is, is a piece of paralysis, is when the conditions mm. do present. And England's strength is clearly going to be its seam bowling. And Australia's batting is far from imperious. And there's a, there are a, a, a smattering of knickers in that uh, mm. top order and, and some inexperience and some uncertainty around position. And given the lack of lead-up cricket that they'd played because of the weather in Brisbane, 
if ever there was, what do you want to say? If ever there was an excuse to say bowling felt absolutely like the right decision and it didn't quite pan out, this was it. And you can imagine, so Smithy, I found myself at the end of yesterday's play going, imagine the, the counterfactual. Australian cricket's had a pretty rugged 10 months and a little bit beyond that. New captain, new start. Imagine if the opposite had happened and Australia had been mm. bowled out in such a fashion. Now, I don't know whether they would or they wouldn't have, but I know what this morning would have looked like. She would have been a pretty glum old nationwide inquisition going on and instead Australia's on its way. And I do feel like in six weeks' time we'll, we'll look back on the opening day's play and go, yep, that was one series that was determined right at the outset. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you, uh, Jared. I, I really do. And it, I, I hate to make those kind of assumptions this early, but I, I think that was really damaging. But having said that, uh, Australia are gifted these conditions to bowl in. They had to find it. They found it from the first ball, uh, but it was relentless and accurate. It was. And th- there'd been such a debate around Mitch Stark's place in the team and his deterioration across the previous test summer and his underwhelming performance in the T20 World Cup. So it was a decision to make to play him. Um, they went with incumbency and they went with experience and they got their results from the first ball. Then Hazelwood turned in a spell, which was seven overs, four maidens, two for three. And then Pat Cummins took it up. And it's, it's the first time an Australian captain has taken five wickets. So rarely has a, a fast bowling captain has taken five wickets in, a, in an inning. So rare has it been. So... And Cameron Green took his first test wicket after a summer against India where he couldn't break through. So everything on the checklist for the team was ticked, and not the least of which was the the morale. Is It's a team that had lost its captain two weeks out from an Ashes series and had the future um, by necessity brought forward. They're just the, the celebration. So the celebration around Stark, the first ball, the celebration around Cam Green when he took his first wicket, and the celebration around Pat Cummins when he got the five. Uh, they all understood the magnitude of what was happening. And you looked at what looked like a, a settled and happy team. And it's been actually a long time since that Australian lineup has looked settled and happy. And now, as you say, they did it with the ball. They have to do it with the bat. It looks like the sun will be out at the start of play today, but there are storms mm. forecast in the middle. It is a, it's a bouncier pitch. The gather is is notorious for its, its bounce and its carry. Um, this feels like an even more intensified version of the Gabba. So there aren't any guarantees as we enter day two that Australia will be able to take advantage of the bat. But you know what it looks like if they do. If Warner gets a hold early and Smith and Labashane do their thing, then, um, then you can imagine how the scoreboard runs away from England. Yeah, very, very quickly too. I would imagine if Warner gets uh, any say in the matter... Uh, Jared, uh, I know they weren't under pressure, uh, Pat Cummins in particular, at any real stage yesterday. They were only on the park for a couple of sessions. But what did you see uh, in terms of the communication between um, the captain, the new captain, and uh, the new vice captain? Was, was it obvious that they were communicating a lot together? It, it was. So particularly when Cummins was bowling, Smith would come and talk to him at the end of the over. But it, it, it looked like Cummins was in command. Uh, and he was he was aggressive in his captaincy, and I think that's what we like. He, Stark had taken a wicket, but after two overs, Cummins took the ball himself because he wanted the root matchup. Um, and he didn't end up bowling to him because Hazelwood dismissed him. So the quicks, it was really interesting. Is, is how the bowlers, uh, how the bats 
batting captains handle bowlers, and then how would a bowling captain? He used the bowlers in short, sharp bursts, two and three over spells between the three of them, and they just kept moving through. It was really interesting. Um, and as uh, he was ultra-aggressive, and across two sessions he could be because wickets were falling. So there'll be, we'll learn much more on a day where Australia battles and only takes two or three wickets. But um, it, was, it was a really impressive start. There was a lot of imagination he was doing rather than conservatism. He was active the whole time. Smith obviously moved the, the, the field around from time to time, but it didn't really go long enough for, for a period where Cummins sort of handed over for four or five overs while he took a breather as he, yeah. he used himself in bursts. And, and the, the most interesting part was when the kill was on, Cummins took the ball himself. And that's a different dynamic. Australian cricket hasn't had that. The captain took the ball to finish things off. So usually we see at the Gabba on the first day, Ricky Ponting set the tone by making a century. Is this was uh, this was the bowling version of that with his Fifer, and it 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 every there's a there's a feeling that that Pat's just about the perfect fellow, the perfect cricketer, and on day one he was the perfect captain. Just finally, uh, Jared, we've talked a lot about uh, what Australia have done and England haven't. So let's talk about what England have to do now. Uh, I imagine there's two blokes who would have loved bowling in those conditions yesterday. They don't have Anderson and Broad. Truckload of experience there. So who has to be the key then? If you look at if you look at this morning's play coming up in Brisbane, who has to be the key for England? It has to be Ollie Robinson, I think. So there's a test match back in the winter where he rolled India. It was man of the match performance. He took two and five wickets in the two innings, and that was when England looked its best in that Indian series. So he's five tests into his career. It's his first look at Australia. The conditions will definitely suit this morning. And yeah, they're going with their, their seam attack, which doesn't strike huge fear in prospects. But let's see what it looks like. So, my I would think England has to bowl Australia out for 220 to to be live in the match. I would I would guess, uh, and so that has to start um, in the first hour of play, and it has to start with the with the wicket of Warner. So Australia, the Australian batsmen haven't had a heap of red ball cricket. Uh, their preparation has been curtailed in the same way that England's has. So perhaps some of the mechanical problems that England experienced, Australia might be vulnerable to as well. And it just feels to me like Ollie Robinson with the new ball has to do it, and he has to do it quickly. OK, we'll look out for that, uh, Jared Waite. We and, uh, we'll listen to your call as well uh, on the app. Fantastic for us uh, in New Zealand so we can get the flavour of, of the Ashes. Uh, great call yesterday, uh, and enjoy the rest of the Test match, uh, how long ever it goes, sir. Thank you. <laughs> Good on you, Smithy. Cheers. Yeah, Jared Waitley there, folks. Uh, brilliant caller. Uh, Mike Atherton alongside him, and um, the Australians are absolutely revelling, revelling in yesterday's performance, and so they should, albeit uh, handed uh, a little bit of a gift, one feels. Uh, we've got some texts to talk about. Please uh, keep them coming in on the cricket and uh, the America's Cup, the emotive issue of the America's Cup. Uh, haven't had many so far. Don't you care? Do you, you, have you lost interest? Maybe that's a sign. Uh, it's 9.45 here on SENZ here in New Zealand. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Uh, later in the day, we have to nominate our uh, $500 bet as well. So uh, we're doing some uh, 
furious homework behind the scenes here. Probably put it on a horse at Tarapa this weekend. Uh, I've got a sneaking thought about that. Nicholas is coming from Brisbane. Uh, thanks very much, Nicholas, uh, for your weather update. Thanks for listening as well. Uh, g'day, Smithy. Not a cloud in the sky in Brisbane, mate. Late storm, but Aussie will be 300 by then. Uh, carry 100 would be uh, amazing. Uh, love the show, mate. Uh, hey, Smithy. Uh, also, a great chat this morning. But uh, tinfoil hat, but uh, Grant Dalton wanting to move the cup overseas as his last crack to simply cash in and leave his kids a chunky inheritance doesn't really seem to be any other reason why you would take it overseas. I could just uh, could not help but being a little bit uh, suspicious in the whole thing. And I, I think that's uh, probably a, a fair reflection of what a lot of people think um, because um, uh, that's all they're really given to thinking. What, what, else, uh, what else is it about? We're, we're just talking about the fact that there's not enough money in it, uh, it seems. Uh, the word liquidation came into one of the things uh, I was reading uh, earlier in the week, that if, uh, uh, if they didn't find the money and, and they had to do it at, at all, the kind of level that uh, New Zealand is funding at the moment, uh, Dalton's saying that uh, the syndicate would go into liquidation. So they are pretty drastic kind of words when you talk about that. Uh, yeah, uh, look, we've got to, uh, we're going to talk women's football um, after 10 o'clock, which I'm really looking forward to. We're going to talk to Gemma Lewis, uh, who, along with Natalie Lawrence, uh, they're at the helm, the helm of the Women's Phoenix, who made such an impressive start uh, last weekend when everyone thought, oh, they're $10 outsiders. Everyone thought they were going to get a hiding. Didn't even concede a goal. Outstanding performance defensively and something really to build on. So uh, that's what we shall be looking to do after 10 o'clock. Uh, and still, I'm still actually uh, humming over the uh, interview with Sula Fitzpatrick. Very, very revealing indeed. Bought in New Zealand. Superman! Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. You got to know when to hold up. Know when to fold up. Smithy's multi. Know when to walk away. And know when to run. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. Uh, yesterday's Māori is alive and kicking. The Nets uh, beat Dallas. The Lakers beat the Celtics. And Australia are on track, aren't they, to beat England in the cricket. So uh, we'll have to wait till the end result of that. But at the moment, you're looking like 5.23 if you followed that one. Today, uh, Milwaukee Bucks to beat the Miami Heat, uh, $1.36. Uh, Napoli to beat Leicester tomorrow morning in football, 2 bucks. Olympic Lyonnais to beat Rangers, $1.80. And an interesting one too today. Uh, hit or miss, really. Australia being in, in the cricket, the first method of dismissal today. Uh, the first Australian batsman to get out today will be out court, I believe, uh, at a dollar thirty-four. The end result of that one will be six dollars fifty-six. But cutthroat there. But John, uh, you have news on the the showdown bet. Uh, let's uh, divulge to uh, those listeners who are eligible or want to become eligible how they get involved. Yeah, absolutely. Smithy, you're obliterated every other show on SCNZ with your superb betting on golf. Uh, every week you got some money to put on and you won five out of six. So you are the champion of the showdown uh, between all the shows, which means you get to put on a $500 bonus bet today and all of the profits from that bonus bet will go to a listener. So you will make your selection at about 5 minutes to 11 this morning and then that post will go up on the TAB Facebook page and then you listening can go to the TAB Facebook page, find Smithy's post for his bet and you can just make a comment and enter and you can be the lucky person who receives hopefully the winnings from Smithy's bet which he will reveal at about 2 minutes 
to 11 this morning, Smithy. So a little bit of pressure now that you're the champion. You have to hopefully give some cash to one of our listeners. Yeah, and just uh, outlining the fact that the $500 is the investment uh, that's not part of the dividend. So the $500, because the bonus bet goes back to uh, the TAB coffers, it's the profit, the absolute profit. So uh, we're going to look to uh, get something round about, I don't know, 750 800 bucks would be a nice return, wouldn't it, for, for nothing, basically. So uh, we'll just um, work on it in the next hour and let you know just before 11 o'clock. But after 10, uh, we've got Gemma Lewis coming on as the head coach of the Wellington Women's Phoenix team. What a start to the comp they had. Um, really, really inspiring last week. It is uh, just coming up to 10 o'clock here on SENZ. And that, of course, is time for Trudy and the News. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Well, the Wellington Phoenix got their women's A-League campaign underway with an impressive nil-all draw against the Western Sydney Wanderers last Friday night. It was uh, a night of history, really. First ever time uh, in the competition and uh, outstanding they were at that. They were not rated a chance, really. Uh, and they came out with uh, an impressive nil-all draw and dominated um, many aspects of the match. Tomorrow night, uh, they're out to grab more competition points when they take on the Newcastle side at five past seven New Zealand time. And we're lucky to be joined by their head coach, Gemma Lewis. Good morning to you, Gemma. Good morning. Hey, look, uh, this is a, a get-to-know-Gemma-Lewis and uh, Natalie Lawrence segment as much as anything else. Uh, tell us a, a wee bit about uh, your involvement in football. I think it's uh, what it's been a lifelong thing with a playing and coaching career, first of all, in Wales. Um, yeah, I, I originally was um, playing most of my football um, with Cardiff City uh, ladies and, and we played in the Premiership um, in the UK um, and I had a, a stint at international football with Wales as well. Um, but yeah, after I finished university, that's when I kind of came over to New Zealand and I've been coaching ever since. Yeah, Jimmy, you've been uh, with New Zealand football in uh, a development role. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, I've I've coached the um, under twenties um, and assisted the seventeens, under seventeens, um, and I also am the head coach of the Future Ferns uh, domestic program. And, and so, along with Natalie, who uh, is an assistant to you for this particular campaign, uh, she's had some uh, experience in uh, America and Canada but extensively too uh, in youth football. So um, young ladies trying to make their way in the game has been, has been your asset, really. Yeah, definitely. It's kind of um, helped us a lot, especially with this team, because um, it, it's quite young um, in terms of our, our squad makeup. So it's ended up really helping us in terms of looking after that, that youth space and understanding the players. So when we come through to this Wellington Phoenix side, and, and it's still ended up being pretty young because of the late nature of the team being put together, but it's meant that we've had a, a good understanding of the players and a good understanding of the age group. Eight. Talk about young. Eight of your starting 11 were 18 years of age last week. Uh, you would not have guessed that by the way you, that they played. You must have been seriously pleased with that first outing. Ah, yeah, definitely. Um, I couldn't really have asked for much more from them. Um, I knew it was going to be a test. Um, you know, they're young players, um, they're young women, they haven't really spent much time away from home and now they've relocated countries and, and started um, their first taste of professional football. So um, I knew the first game was going to be a real test to see um, how, how they coped and 
I mean, yeah, um, their display was pretty impressive and they, they, they couldn't have coped much better. So uh, we're really impressed. I mean, they were massive uh, underdogs uh, over here. I would imagine uh, they probably were in Australia as well. And and who would have been uh, who wouldn't have been su- surprised by that? But defensively, a clean sheet to begin with. Uh, that must have been impressive that they had that communication and that structure at the back. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, they, and they work so hard. Um, that that's kind of what they've come into this with um, is that 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 work ethic. Um, and I think there's elements of that kind of. Kiwi strengths where they just um, grit their teeth and do the hard work and sometimes that comes in those defending moments um, and it just meant that we had plenty of numbers behind the ball a lot of the time and, and the team found it really hard to break us down so yeah we were we were really happy with their discipline and their work ethic even in the 94th minute they still managed to get eight nine players back behind the ball in the last counter-attack that Western Sydney had so yeah we were really happy with them. Well, it was a late entry into the league from the, the Phoenix's point of view. There's a serious lack of, of senior experienced players uh, in the side not being at home. So when you started to assemble a squad, and it was a, quite a late process, how did, how did you feel it was coming together? Um, we, we knew it was going to be a young squad, um, and we knew we were going to be kind of underdogs, and there wasn't going to be a lot of expectation on us, but... We also knew that some of these players, we, we knew they'd be able to compete at this level. Um, you know, we've seen the level um, for, for a few years in the, in the new A-League women's. Um, and we've had some players come out of the Future Firms domestic program playing in here, like Claudia and Paige um, and, and Liz Anton. Um, and we knew these players had been training alongside these girls and, and could compete as well. So I think we were relatively optimistic about the fact that even though they were young, they would be of a good enough standard to compete. Um, but there's other things that go into that as well, you know, in terms of their, their maturity, the being able to cope with moving away from home, um, you know, not being able to see your families and things like that. That was going to make it all a, a much bigger challenge. And then the short-term turnaround to only have kind of, I think as a team, we had barely four weeks together before our first game. That that was the real challenge to try and really make sure that we were understanding a playing model and we were organised going into that first game. Well, for a lot of these young girls, it would be their most extensive time away from home. So initially, anyway, how have they taken to uh, the setup and and the, the protocols involved in playing uh, a top level sport these days? Um, they've done really well. There's, there's been a lot of challenges and ups and downs. Like I think, um, you know, I won't shy away from being honest with that, like um, moving away from home. And like you said, for most of these girls, this is the most extensive time they've had away from families. Um, some of them haven't even been away from New Zealand that much, um, if, it, if at all. So um, that's been a real challenge, um, an adjustment period for them. Um, and I think that having some balance outside of football has been a challenge because obviously when you're away mm. from your family, your friends and the people that normally give you that balance and structure, when you don't have that, you tend to throw yourself even more into into football or into into what you're here for, which is good in some aspects, but hard to sustain. Um, so we're just being mindful of that. But they've done really well, um, and and they've been they've been so good. They've, their maturity levels kind of are coming through. Some of the um, younger girls are even stepping up with their leadership as well. Um, and, and yeah, we're, we're super proud of them at the moment, but we, we know it's just the beginning um, and we know there's going to be challenges to come as well. But so far, they're, they're taking to it really well. So Gemma, what, is, uh, what does home look like? What are the training facilities, etc.? What, what, what are they experiencing there? 
Um, at the moment, we're, we're based in Wollongong, and, and we've been really lucky. The local uh, club, the Wollongong Wolves um, men's club, have given us their, their first team facilities. So um, that means we get a really good field to train on, and we're, we're really happy with that. Um, and, and, you know, Wollongong's been really good. They've, uh, you know, they heard we were here, and there's this uh, a local gym that's given us full access to the high, high, high kind of um, facility um, and it means that we've got um, our own gym there basically as well so we're just really really lucky with um, kind of the Wollongong um, community and locals have kind of embraced us and any challenges that we've had or any facilities that we would need they've they found a way and made them available for us so um, yeah we're, we're pretty happy and it means that we've got a good training facility we've got a good gym structure um, the girls are based at the uni for their accommodation um, yeah so so far so good. Gemma, I guess it would be easy for you as a coach, uh, along with Natalie, and just say to the girls, this is our first year, uh, let's just uh, get into a, a sort of a, a damage control situation where it doesn't you know, get out of hand and, and we get you know, credibility, etc. in the competition. But judging by that first performance, uh, you're probably going to think uh, a little bit differently to that. Uh, what is your overall philo- ph- uh, philosophy for the team this year and your expectations? Yeah, I think everyone everyone expected us or wanted us to kind of go in with the aspect of almost a, a damage control or, you know, uh, it'll be nice if they get a result um, somewhere along the line. And we know the expectations on us weren't going to be huge. They're obviously a little bit bigger now. Um, but I think, like, for our girls, that, that game on Friday has just meant that they're more hungry to show what they can do. I think, um, you know, people kind of not knowing what to expect on them and just makes them want to show people what they can do even more. Um, so we're, we're quite lucky that they're really embracing that. Um, so for us, it's like continued improvement week on week. We thought that if we were kind of 10% better in, in some of our counter-attacking or some of our in-possession moments, we might have been able to nick a win on that Friday game. So, you know, we know that we want to go out and be better than that in, in the next game. Um, so we're going to continue to try and improve um, week on week, knowing that we've only had a short lead-in. We feel like these girls being young means that their ceiling is quite high and we'll have a lot of room for improvement. Um, so we're hoping that through the season we'll be able to show that. Um, so, yeah, I think that's, our, that's kind of our main aspect. Week on week, we want to try and get better and better. We know there's going to be um, peaks and troughs, so to speak. But, um, but, yeah, we're definitely going to kind of push these girls to really show what, what they can do. Who have you put the emphasis on in terms of uh, on-field leadership? Um, well, obviously, Lily's, Lily's our captain, and she's got that experience from last season. Um, but she's also kind of a little bit older, and, and kind of the girls look to her for, for a lot of advice, even off the field. Um, so, so she's kind of naturally taken up that position. But we also have some younger girls um, that have stepped up as well. And, and you would have seen that Kate's been our vice captain. She's only just turned 18. Um, and some people thought that was quite surprising, but anybody that watched the game would have seen, you know, her composure um, and, and how she kind of leads by example and she steps up um, in big moments. Um, so she's been really good in, in that respect. And then we have some kind of quiet leaders as well in like a Chloe Knott, who's a little bit older, um, kind of brings the team together a little bit more. Um, so, you know, we, we have players kind of stepping up th- throughout, um, but I think because of the demographic of our, of our team, it's not necessarily a hierarchy or anything like that um it's definitely kind of the girls coming together to try and um kind of overcome these kind of barriers that have been put in our way along the way so um so far so good it's kind of complementing each other and coming together really well 
So what did you take out of uh, that Nilo draw last week uh, that you've uh, been working on with the, with the girls this week? Um, I, I think obviously we, you know, we were we were pretty aggressive. We were we were pretty um, uh, uh, high up and pressing, and I think that frustrated them a lot. Um, and I don't think it, it was expected from us. I think, um, you know, they thought we were going to kind of just try and absorb as much pressure as we could. But whereas we decided to take the game to them a little bit more, um, and we'll continue to do that and continue to kind of build on that. But we also want to spend a bit more time on our kind of bravery in possession and some of our consistency in possession and also being able to hurt them in those moments where we are pressing high and we turn over the ball in those attacking third areas. We want to try and make teams kind of pay for that as well. Whereas I don't think our high pressing really turned into anything um, from a goal side of things um, in that game. So we definitely want to build on that to try and make those moments um, a weapon for us. So uh, clearly, um, we're learning about uh, your team, but we're learning too about uh, opposition teams uh, as the competition unfolds. Tell us uh, a wee bit what uh, what you are expecting out of uh, Newcastle tomorrow night. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're definitely a good team. I think they've been underestimated a lot in, in previous seasons and they've definitely strengthened this year. Um, you know, they've just, just uh, released that they've signed Van Egmond as well, obviously, and Matilda. Um, and come from the um, NWSL in America um, for Orlando Pride. So we know she's going to be a weapon. They also have uh, Eddie as their international um, this year, who's um, an NWSL player with Gotham. Um, so, you know, that's two centre midfielders that are, that are world-class. So, you know, that's already strengthened, strengthened their team quite considerably. Um, you know, we know they're going to be trying to bounce back from what they would have considered, um, you know, a disappointing result. Um, on on the weekend, um, and they'll definitely be targeting us for a win. Um, so we're aware of that. Um, you know, we know they like to play. We know they can score goals. Um, you know, Andrews as their as their number nine. Um, she's really dangerous in and around the box. Um, we expect them to try and get the ball to her, especially in the combination of um, with Eddie and with Van Egmond as well alongside her. Um, we know they've got that attacking weapons in in their locker as well. So. We kind of know they're going to be dangerous, but we're hoping that if we continue to kind of um, keep our defensive organisation, keep our high work ethic and our transitions, um, that we'll hopefully be able to absorb some of that and then hurt them on, on some of those counter-attacking moments as well. Gemma, have you been able to have any contact at all? I know it's a difficult scenario under bubbles and, uh, and COVID, etc. Any contact, uh, any kind of communication with uh, the men's Phoenix team at all? Um, yeah, um, I've been really lucky, to be honest. And, and as much as we haven't been able to necessarily um, kind of be with them a lot, they, they watched our first game. They arrived early um, and they supported us and watched our first game. And, and we stayed and watched their, their game at Wynn Stadium as well. Um, Ufi's been on the phone to me. Like, he's, he's good as gold. Like, he'll ring me in the lead up to a game and, and, and chat to me and talk to me about anything that, you know, I might be wanting, like, to pick his brain about um and so I'm really lucky in, in respect that actually the guys uh, are really, really good. Um, it could be really easy to work in isolation, um, but they've actually been really mm. supportive. Um, and, you know, for somebody like Ufi just to pick up the phone and give me a ring and, and talk about the lead up to the game and stuff and how I'm feeling and if I've got any questions and stuff like that is, is again, just a resource that, that really helps us. So we're super appreciative of that and the girls feel it as well. The guys, have they sent them a good luck message and everything before their first game. So... We're really feeling like it's not just, uh, you know, an isolation of the girls' team and the and the guys' team. Like it, we're definitely feeling the backing from both.
That's great, Gemma. It's, it's wonderful to hear uh, and wonderful to talk to you as well. Congratulations on that uh, great start. Let's hope you build on it uh, tomorrow night. A uh, lot of interest building here back home. I, I think you'd be pleased to know that. So uh, good luck going forward and thanks again for your time this morning. Awesome. We really appreciate everyone's support um, and hopefully we can keep doing everyone proud. Yep, we certainly started on the right note. Thank you so much. Uh, all the very best. Uh, Gemma Lewis there, uh, the Wellington women's Phoenix coach. Uh, what a great start last week and another challenge. They'll learn a, more, a bit more about themselves. We'll learn a, little, a wee bit more about them as well uh, against Newcastle. Uh, and that game is at five past seven New Zealand time. And you'll be able to see it here uh, at home. Uh, John Day uh, listening in on that. Another a very impressive and open interview from uh, one of our uh, women uh, involved in sports. So uh, they just keep rolling them out. It's cool. really is. Yeah, that's the best thing about um, this new age of embracing women's sports, Smithy, is that you get great interviews and you get great insight and they've got great passion. It's like they haven't been burnt by the media or anything or I don't know what it is, Smithy, but um, the, the female athletes and coaches we've had on the show in the last five months has been an absolute highlight of SENZ and your show, I reckon. Yeah, I do. I totally agree. Uh, one of the other highlights, I think, has been the panel and we've got one of those coming up uh, uh, really, um, really shortly. In fact, just after the break, and uh, I'm looking forward to uh, this panel, of course, because uh, we've got uh, Kimberly Downs, here we go again, another outspoken forthright woman on sport, uh, and James Regan as uh, the co-panellist this morning. That's coming up in about four minutes' time. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Well, it's not quite uh, really a showdown like Australia v England at the moment, but it is TVNZ versus uh, News Hub this morning. Uh, Kimberly Downs joins us from uh, TVNZ and from across uh, the fence, uh, News Hub. Uh, we welcome in uh, James Regan uh, this morning. And James, I think we'll start with you actually, because England are in such great shape after day one. We want you to start on a positive note. Uh, let's talk about the Ashes, shall we? What, what has happened there? With, what has happened, James, with that decision? Uh, to bat first? Honestly, no idea. I mean, so much anticipation and hype, uh, as always, for an England fan going into this. You think you might be able to get something, but I, I don't know. I have no word, honestly, what Joe Root was thinking, why Stuart Ford wasn't playing, but, yeah, just atrocious. And, uh, yeah, probably going to hide in a hole for the, for the next four days, I think. <laughs> find somewhere to hide well uh, that, that would be nice but you'll get people like Kimberly Downs coming looking for you because um, she loves a, a, a great story and uh, Kimberly Downs we waited we've been waiting for the ashes it's always an appointment on the calendar that cricket fans sports fans like but from uh, English point of view what an anti-climax Oh, Smithy, to be honest, you have made my day just with that intro because uh, Jimmy and I know each other fairly well and <laughs> if there's a word to describe his attitude in the build-up to these ashes, I think cocky would probably be it, um, unwarranted though it may be. So it's, uh, it's a satisfying morning for me already. Um, but yeah, what an easy climax for the English. And I, I, you know what, I mean, to be fair... To James, I have my own admission to make, which is that we did a bit of um, an office, I guess, betting pool myself. Um, Guy Havel, who's obviously a big cricket fan, um, just to kind of pick what we thought England would be at lunch. And 
stupidly, I went about 80-odd to two. Um, so I had to kind of eat my own words there as well a wee bit. Um, but, you know, great, I mean, great story. If the English thought the Aussies would be rattled by all of the scandal and controversy in the lead-up to this series, uh, they were sadly mistaken. Like you say, the decision to bat, while at the time I think was kind of applauded, within half an hour was made to look somewhat foolish. Um, and, you know, once you get the Aussies on a high, I don't know how you bring them down from here. No, I don't know how you bring him down from here either because it's a, I mean, right from the very first ball, which was uh, shocking. Uh, look, there was an upside for me, though, uh, James, in this, and uh, it, it, even though he didn't score many, it was really nice to see Ben Stokes back out there, and until he got out, uh, he looked pretty much uh, in control of the situation mentally. He looked, uh, his technique looked quite sound, got a, a, a toughish delivery, but uh, I think he'll build from there quite nicely, so not all bad news. Yeah, absolutely. And you certainly got a sense of, uh, I guess, a little bit of hope when he came to the crease and he did look like he hadn't been away from the game at all, considering what he'd been through over the past few months, taking that break away from the game. I think before the Ashes, he said he didn't think at one stage he would ever get back on a cricket pitch. So to see him out there was was great. He looked good uh, until I think the commentators mentioned his his efforts in the World Cup final and, and jinxed him and, and he got out. But until then, yeah, he looked really good. And it was good to see for for him personally uh, as well. There were a couple of other highlights. I think Josh Butler uh, played really well, considering it was his first time in Australia. But, yeah, not uh, not a lot of positives, certainly, to, <laughs> to take from this one, even for me. OK, let's uh, change tack a, a wee bit. Kimberly, I had a delightful interview this morning with Sula Fitzpatrick, who was... Uh, the winner this year of the uh, Dame Lois Muir Award for the Supreme Performance in New Zealand Netball. Now, this is a really nice story, uh, not just for netball, but for Sulu herself. Oh, absolutely. Um, and how much do we need, you know, these wonderful, inspirational sort of stories at this time of year? I mean, she is fantastic. From She openly admits the, the lowest of the lows that she's been through, from struggles with alcohol, with depression, with wanting to give up on a game to where she is now and she is she is just such an influential inspiring leader within every team that she plays for. She carries a huge amount of money and I can't think of anyone more deserving of winning that award uh, this year and listening to her last night after she won it it just, it, it always strikes you that an athlete is really genuine uh, and willing to put their emotions out there and she was such a lesson in just saying you know, just keep getting up, just keep getting up day by day, even when you don't think things are going your way, when you don't want to, and just taking it day by day. And it's just, for me, it is such a lesson in never giving up, regardless of what you've been through. And like I say, just one of those really heartwarming, inspiring stories that we need at this time of year. Yeah, we do. Um, And uh, the other thing I take out of that is just uh, uh, I've had such a a wonderful time on this uh, particular station talking to women uh, in sport. Uh, I'll get back to that too, uh, Kimberly uh, and, and James, after the news with Trudy, because I think it's worth uh, just mentioning briefly just how easy it seems to communicate uh, with our women in sport, whatever role they play, uh, as opposed to our men. Uh, it's, it's quite revealing. Uh, here's, here's Trudy anyway. Big opinions, the panel. Talk, talk, talk to me, yeah. James Regan. 
Kimberly Downs, uh, the panellist this morning. And just getting back to that point, uh, Kimberly, am I wrong? Am I uh, the, the lone ranger here thinking that uh, it's been a great year for women's sport, but a great year for women communicating in sport? Um, no, no, I don't think you're wrong. Um, I don't think it's, it's strictly this year either. I think by and large, a lot of the time, and there's probably a few factors that go into this, our female athletes uh, happily for us are pretty open, pretty honest, pretty genuine um, in the discussions that they have with the media. I, I wonder whether part of that comes down to, I guess, traditionally um, less coverage, basically, of, of women's sport. And so a lot of the men's teams and players within those teams tend to see media perhaps more as a bit of an obligation, whereas the women feel a bit more compelled, I suppose, to tell their stories when you come to them. I'm not sure. But I, I, I do think that we are really lucky to have a lot of female athletes and across a lot of sports, be it uh, sort of a netball, be it the Blackburn Sevens, be it um, our other individual Olympians, your, your Lisa Carrington, your Olivia Cole, your Dan Valerie Adams, all of whom are really um, beautifully eloquent, beautifully articulate um, and have wonderful stories to tell and don't mind sharing them. Um, so I think we are really lucky in that way and long may it continue and I do think as well probably in the media space there is now more space for women to be telling their stories and, and doing so in a way and knowing uh, that they're going to be heard and, and listened to. James, from, uh, from your point of view, um, have, you, have you experiences uh, with men and women that are differing or am I just sort of... Um uh, just talking about my own personal experience here as a, as a male interviewee, interviewer. Yeah, I think Kim pretty much hit the nail on the head in the fact that when we get to speak to these women, it's usually about um, a success, and then they get the chance to reflect back on, on maybe any struggles they've had in the past. But we do get incredible access to them, and um, they don't maybe get the media access that the men do, which, you know, men... Uh, the players would go through a lot of media training and maybe um, stick to the stick to the book in terms of answers, which is uh, a bit of a shame. Sometimes you do get a lot of a lot of blogs that do take the chance to open up every now and then, but mm. it, it is certainly a different kind of feel with with interviewing these female athletes because they do take take the chance to be a little bit more vulnerable, as we heard before with with uh, Sulu's interview here, and, and you could hear the emotion. Uh, in her voice, and I guess it was so refreshing just to hear her open up like that. So I think there are differences, but that's probably as well a bit of a reflection of, of wider society when it comes to that kind of issue. Uh, James, uh, you'll be interested uh, in the appointment uh, of Tohu Harris as the captain of the Warriors coming up. Now, this, uh, there's a bloke who's had uh, a decent story as well and uh, quite inspiring. Yeah, yeah. The right choice, the only choice probably for this for this team. I think he's such an unsung hero, but he's such uh, he's a player who's held with such regard within the team. He carries so much mana mana in that in that side, and yeah, the only choice probably he's uh, got a bit of an injury. He's hoping for a, a return in May, I think, which will is not ideal for Nathan Brown on the side, but certainly it's the right appointment and probably the only one who could really go in and fill Rogers. Uh, Roger's shoes after he left to, to rugby but um, yeah a lot of promise within the side and to have someone like Tohu be able to lead that side is, is certainly giving a lot of hope to Warriors fans I think 
How, how do you think, uh, James, uh, the, the Smith, Brandon Smith, uh, Melbourne Storm scenario is going to play out now? Uh, what's the last chapter going to be? Stay with the club or get out of here? I, I think he'll, he'll stay for this season, definitely. It looks like he is going to go to the Roosters, obviously, but he he would have been given a probably a, a good dressing down from Craig Bellamy about that interview, whatever way you look at it. I don't think the Storm looked at it too kindly. It was, um, in many eyes, pretty disrespectful to be talking about other clubs the way he was when he still got a year to go with Melbourne, who was such a good such a good unit, such a good machine, and, and have such a good culture. So I think he'll definitely stay on. He's such a valuable player for them. So he would have been given a talking to and probably a bit of a stray from Bellamy, but I think they'll move on and, and they'll just get on with the job. And he is such a, a good character in the game. It would be a shame if this whole episode maybe quiets him down. Uh, we didn't see so much of Brandon because he's such a good advertisement for the game. Whatever you think of, of the interview and what played out over the past couple of weeks, he's He's so good for, for league across New Zealand and Australia as well, remembering he's a Kiwi. Kimberly, uh, I, I just wonder too, I, I look at this story that's just come out in the last day or two uh, involving uh, the women's rugby situation where a player has uh, basically um, had a crack at a coach on, on a, you know, on an outlet. Uh, we have heard nothing back from the coach itself, nothing back um, from New Zealand rugby other than the fact that they'll take a look at it. Uh, but is, is there a little bit of a trend developing here, a much more public uh, outcry between coaches and players and vice versa? Uh, is it becoming much more a public issue, a public domain? Um, yeah, I, I think you probably could argue that. I think that, I mean, specific situation is obviously um, pretty tricky in terms of some of the allegations that have been made, like you say, NZR is um, doing it its role in investigating those. I think more broadly, we are probably seeing more of a willingness from athletes to speak out when they're unhappy. There is probably probably a bit of a, a shifting attitude around that sort of thing. Whereas once upon a time, once upon a time, I suppose um, you would almost take it for granted that you know the coach is going to be pretty hard nosed and get pretty fired up, and you would just take it on the chin and move on. That's not necessarily these days um, accepted or acceptable position um, and it's okay and that's probably something that we're all kind of learning and, and, and growing and trying to understand more. I do think when it comes to these situa- situations there are a lot of factors involved. It's a pretty nuanced um, conversation I suppose and in terms of how people react to different things, what motivates different people as opposed to what sends them in, into a bit of a spiral. So, yeah, I, I do think more broadly that athletes are willing to be a bit more open about these things, and I think that's a good thing. I think we've seen ramifications in the past of what happens, you know, when people try and bury these things uh, as deep down. So we'll see where this one leads, and we'll see what happens. But I do think, and, and it's not just, I should say, a New Zealand thing either. I think that globally we are seeing more and more athletes take on uh, uh, or have a bit more of a powerful voice or recognise the power of their voice. Um, and I, I don't see that ending any time soon. Mm. It's, it's quite deep-seated, James, uh, from the way you look at it. I mean, highlighted by the, the likes of perhaps uh, Simone Biles and this whole system uh, of uh, the gymnastics in America. Then we bring it back home. We, we see it uh, also as well. And, um, yeah, uh, uh, concerning, I, I think is the word, concerning, 
um, a concerning trend. Yeah, definitely. I think the, the first thing I have to say as well to anyone who kind of speaks out um, with, with how they're feeling or, or how they've been treated, especially when it's in a, a team environment when there's other people potentially affected, it is you know well done and, and that's incredibly brave to do so. I think it's also it's good, as, as hard as it may be to, to see and digest the, the players, fans, for everyone. Uh, it, it's great and it has to be done. It, it doesn't matter who you are, I guess, or, or what team you're coaching or anything. If you are not treating people right and you're, you're not kind of um, encouraging that, that positive culture, then, then you should be called out. And anyone who takes the chance to do that uh, should be commended 100% because I guess it goes to show as much as we maybe think we know a team and, and we've obviously had an incident with the Black Sands earlier in the week, we, we don't really know what goes on behind the door, behind closed doors. And, and with anyone who is able to speak out, it, it's incredibly great because they're putting themselves at the end of the day on the line as much as they're doing a, a fantastic thing. We don't know the implications of what's going to happen. So they, whoever does it, it should be commended 100%. So a question, a very quick question for each of you as we say goodbye. Uh, Kimberly Downs, first of all, uh, should Neil Barnes be uh, Domestic Rugby Coach of the Year? Um, absolutely. Is that even a question? Or we, it's not a debate, is it? Well, I'm, I'm just... Of course, I just, of course. You don't, have to ju- you don't have to justify it. it was, I, I, I kind of figured you'd answer that, answer that way. But, uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm happy to justify and, it, though, Smithy, if we've got the time. <laughs> oh no, we haven't actually. That's why I just said very quickly. Don't you, didn't you pick up on that? Well, very quickly. Yes, a simple a yes point. would have done. I've got a, 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 ten, a ten point statement that I'll uh, send to you later in the day. Well, please do, and make sure you add another ten points as to why the the, the men's team didn't even make it into the team of the year. Perhaps you've got ten points, a uh, different kind of That's ten points, points for that one as well. <laughs> twenty points, okay. I wait with bated breath. It's a Christmas present. Uh, and James Regan, uh, a question for you: uh, Will you get a wicket today, England? Would you get one wicket today? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I think so. I think we'll bounce back as much as it probably rocked us yesterday. I think uh, Ollie Pope will come out firing, and uh, yeah, a lot, a lot to happen today. I think so. Maybe not what people expect, but we'll be fine. Okay, uh, we look forward to that. Uh, thank you very much, uh, both of you, Kimberly Downs uh, and to James Regan there, Jimmy Regan, for uh, your part in the panel this morning. Very funny, very enlightening, uh, very honest as well. It's 10.43 here on SENZ. Um, some text, uh, some information to talk about, uh, and then, of course, uh, we'll be visiting the TAB and hopefully talking to Clado before 11 o'clock. On SENZ. Well, I pulled the wrong rein this morning because I thought you might have some emotion about the America's Cup, but very little reaction to uh, this latest saga, which is, uh, I think it's going to come to a head, uh, certainly in this uh, AGM of the Royal New Zealand Yacht Squadron tomorrow night. Um, there will be sparks flying there as they, they debate the issues. There's some fairly high-powered men in the squadron, uh, and they're up against, uh, really, uh, the Team New Zealand decision and uh, uh, on where the America's Cup is going to be hosted. Uh, but John, there's been very little reaction and I, I guess your attitude is probably uh, reflective too of, of a lot of New Zealanders. Yeah, I've, like America's Cup, it's all fun when it's on your back doorstep and I did enjoy seeing the boats flying around on the water but it's all this stuff off the water. Smithy, I know it gets some people fired up but there's just so much in it isn't there and just for me, Grant Dalton is obviously a money man, he's done very well 
and and well done to him and that's his main priority but then he kind of clouds it behind this whole Team New Zealand you know this is us all in it together well is it Grant or is it just you trying to get some cash and taking us for a ride so that's how I kind of feel about it Smithy mm, it's um I guess if that's reflective I I, I would imagine the other thing about it is that uh, John and doesn't really involve anyone outside of Auckland does it um, to be honest, yeah. uh, do anyone does anyone in the South Island care on monkeys uh, about it? Uh, you know, do, does anyone in Wellington? Uh, there's a beautiful venue in its own right, plenty of wind, some lovely water down there. Never see anything resembling it. Uh, I, I just wonder whether um, uh, that's there's a bit of an anti-Auckland thing to it as well as the only real beneficiaries of the whole thing. Yeah, I think you're probably right there. It's 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 one of those things where we all jump on the bandwagon, I think, when it happens. But if it's overseas in the middle of the night, not sure how full that bandwagon will be. Okay, fair enough. Uh, we'll uh, get back to that a little later in the morning. Uh, but uh, we really need to, to buy a bit of time here, so we will. Uh, I want to uh, chat to the TAB because we've got to come up with that bet. Uh, that uh, in the show bet uh, we've been given the 500 bucks I've made a decision uh, that coming up shortly from behind the stumps to behind the mic you're in safe hands it's mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ the loveracing.nz update your home for everything thoroughbred racing visit loveracing.nz racing's biggest fan Mark Clayton joins us again this morning, and Clado now uh, here we are into Thursday. The markets are out for Saturday. All eyes on Tarapa with the extended meeting as well, and a busy afternoon for you boys on the Good Oil and the a Punters Club. Yeah, yeah, the TAB Punters Club. We start off with a thousand dollars, and yeah, a strike rate starting to improve. We picked up a few clicks through our lucky listeners, and just text in Louis Codeword. On the mail run between 8 and 10 on Saturday morning, your chance to go in the draw. And boy, that's a good race to sink our teeth in. Two on Saturday, I think there's two 11 race cards, Smithy, at Alapuni and Tarapa. Amazing. What do you, what do you see out of uh, the features and the fact that the Northern horses are now showing a little bit more interest and uh, in, uh, the, the bonus opportunity, really, without having to travel your horses and, and having a crack? Well, some people are going to miss out and some people are going to get reward out of that. I'm moving at Captain Cook from, you know, Trentham up to North, up to Tarapa. And a lot of those horses got a big float trip there and back. It's worth a couple of runs. It's, they haven't raced, but it's still a big ask, and especially on some of those two-year-olds. So we do have some of those two-year-olds backing up. Um, of course, uh, Horses like Wolverine, you know, they need to travel from Awapuni to Wellington and now they're doing the trip Awapuni to Tarapa. So not so bad, but then the horses like the Racketeer who's gone all the way down from Cambridge to Wellington and come all the way back and they're going to race again. But what you're shaping up is a great day and the challenge stakes. Um, we've got a couple of unbeaten horses there, Think Twice, Wessex and Wolverine. And Think Twice has got the best of the draw out of those three, but couple of first starters there, and uh, Opie Bossom rides Beatty, drawn barrier one, and gee, the coat pullers have been out and forced for the racketeer out of the Sean Ritchie and Cole Murray stable. Uh, well, uh, Clayton, we look forward to that. Um, we'll probably be hearing from you again tomorrow. Louis out for a big lunch. I'm not sure. I've been to one of those, oh. one of those lunches. I, I don't think uh, Louis will be at work tomorrow. That's my prediction. Um, and uh, I know those lunches very, very well. Uh, but we'll get across uh, to uh, Pip Morris. Thanks, Flato, uh, at the TAB. Pip, we have to advise you 
of our bet because we won the competition. So this is what we're going to do. Okay, I'm very confident Australia are going to win the, the cricket test. So uh, that's a buck 14. Uh, and then uh, I'm, I'm also uh, going to go to Wolverine at $2.70 uh, to win the uh, Wakefield Challenge Stakes. It's race three at Tarapa this weekend. So if you multiply that out, it comes to, uh, and take the 500 off for the bonus bet, it'll be a profit of $1,039. What do you think of that? That is awesome. And we're going to put that up, Smithy, on the Facebook page. So if you get it home, a lucky, a lucky uh, listener will get that when they comment. So... Well done for one, getting the show down, and I hope it gets up to someone because that is a very nice Christmas present uh, not far away from Christmas. Greyhound action today. You had a day off yesterday, for goodness sake. I did. 14 race program at Cambridge. Really like a dog in race 12 called Big Time Joy. I believe she's going to be a star of the future. Took ground off Big Time Panda, who was in the New Zealand Cup uh, just a couple of starts ago, last start. She's at 210. She's drifted out. I think she should be winning. I made her the best bit of the day. And, of course, you're talking about Savalka there, Smithy. Have to talk about the big promotion that we've got from the TAB. Bonus back races on all of the races out of Savalka. So this is the first time that's happened. And you now paid up to $50 as a bonus there as well. So if that's not an incentive to have a look at Savalka's deals, I don't know what it is. I don't know what else... Uh is uh, exciting either, Piff, if it doesn't get the punters going. Uh, you're trying very hard with all those incentives at, at the TAB. Thank you very much for that. Uh, coming up to 11 o'clock here on SENZ, former All-Whites goalkeeper Jacob Spoonley next with a look at the beautiful game. Ian Smith. here on SENZ. Hope you're having a great day wherever you are this Thursday. We're going to enhance it now by talking uh, the beautiful game football, of course. Uh, We probably would normally have Ricardo Ball in here on a Thursday in his uh, usual slot, uh, but he's on a break. Uh, So off the bench for us, uh, putting the gloves on now as always, uh, former goalkeeper, of course, and uh, Jacob Spoonley. Also uh, a Sky Sport commentator as well. Uh, good morning to you, Jacob. Thanks for giving us your time. First of all, for us Tottenham fans, not great news. Uh, the, the whole squad's decimated by COVID. Oh, exactly, Smitty. And look, it's great to be talking football. I hope um, John Day sent through my list of demands for Finn and for Ricardo. As the mayor of Havelock, I'm expecting a couple of bottles of Syrah or something like that, mate. You can get your hands on for me. Yeah, I can, I can organise that. No problem at all. It can probably cross paths. <laughs> It can cross paths with a. Uh, in fact, when the courier drops off my ham, I can have the wine be- ready to be couriered back to your house back up there, man. That, that would be all right, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, I'll get Dad to pick it up on the way through. I think he's been down in a bit. Um, but yeah, COVID. Um, look, it's a constant uh, everyone's lives at the moment, and sport is not immune from it. The, um, the Premier League um, has been constantly monitoring um, not only the impacts of COVID and the compliance with the the regime and the architecture that we put in place to minimise the risk for players and fans, but we've also been looking at the variants. And I would say that they would have expected something like this uh, and they have plans in place for it. For them, I think at the moment, it's really about being able to draw a ring around the players that have been impacted. And then what do you do with those players? Do you get them to quarantine at home and put their families at risk or do you quarantine them in a centralised facility? It's going to be really interesting to see what happens in the next 24 to 48 hours. And we're already hearing that games are going to be impacted. So Tottenham has a 
Europa League game against Rennes. That's been postponed from what I understand. And we're also looking at postponement of the Brighton game on the weekend. And there's talk that the Leicester game next Thursday could also be impacted. So just to give you an idea of the significance of this outbreak, it's going to be something that develops very, very quickly over the next couple of days. Yeah, as sure as we uh, will keep an eye on that very closely. As we are, uh, the Champions League itself. Uh, yesterday, Man City lost to, to Leipzig. Uh, Liverpool getting up over AC Milan. Uh, 2-1. Today, some of the results uh, that have come in today of note, Ju- uh, Juventus beating Malmo 1-0. Chelsea and Zenit drawing uh, three all there. Bayern Munich way too strong for Barcelona. Uh, and the one that's just concluded, uh, Manchester United and Young Boys, uh, interestingly named club, uh, drawing one all at Old Trafford. I'll raise you that. Young Boys play at Wankdorf, Smitty. So it's a very interesting combination of team and station <laughs> name there. Um, <laughs> But, yeah, Ralph Ranjit, um, I think he's been a bit of a surprise as the Man United uh, interim coach for some of the fans that aren't too familiar with um, English football. He's really been a driving force in not only the German band, but influenced a lot uh, of those around Europe. So he's got uh, current Bayern manager Julian Nagelsmann and Jurgen Klopp as his disciples. And I think Jurgen Klopp said it very well when he said, unfortunately, we have a really good coach in England now, referring to Ranjit. So, um, from what we saw this morning, uh, they rotated a number of players. It was quite a young side. United had already topped the group, so they were simply seeing this game out. Um, but the big one for me, really, is how the mighty have fallen in Barcelona, uh, going down 3-0, seemingly with no fight, almost expecting the result against Bayern Munich. And that actually means that they are out of the Champions League this year, being second with a 2-0 win in the other fixture in the group. Uh, and so they have topped... Um, off Barcelona and, and claim that second spot, which is, I think, indicative of the fact that Barcelona have been so mismanaged for the last five or six years. There's similarities to United there and that commercial interest seem to have been given priority to um, those the football department and uh, their decision-making. So a real rebuild for Xavi on his hands at the moment. And uh, I, I guess also, too, on the, the back of uh, Messi getting out of Dodge, too. Absolutely. And you've got to query uh, how that was allowed to happen, um, the way in which um, things are managed. So what we heard is that there couldn't have been a deal done whereby Messi stayed at Barcelona earlier in the year um, and he had to leave to go to uh, PSG. But you've got to query. COVID can't be the reason for that. It's simply the tide that has gone out and left these sorts of decisions, decisions exposed and, and the structures exposed. So it really seems like there's a, a, a real conflict of um, uh, agendas at Barcelona and I think Javi's introduction should really breathe some fresh air into the club and he should be seen as somebody that can drive the club forward in a similar way that Pep did. Uh, let's go uh, local for uh, a moment or two here, Jacob, and uh, don't you just love it uh, when having lost the game 2-0 you get apologies for the refereeing errors? Doesn't that just compensate nicely? Oh, I think I think someone tweeted me after um, we got here on Sky Sport and they said, stop whinging about the referees. I think you're dealing with professional football here. And yes, I accept that you have to play the game better than the referees are different. But we're talking about two VAR decisions yesterday. So Thomas Hemming, he handballed um, it onto Gary Hooper, which denied the Phoenix a goal. So they shouldn't... They shouldn't, that goal shouldn't have stood, but the Phoenix should have had a penalty. And then in the second half, the same player pushes Callan Elliott over. Clear push. Even the Australian commentators picked it up, Smitty. So it must have been that severe. 
Um, but you're right. An apology doesn't really get you give you the points that you've lost. Um, the other big talking point about the game was the lack of kind of definitive creativity that the Phoenix had. They were playing really well between the boxes, but they didn't have that spark by that, that player that was able to open up uh, the Western Sydney defence and put it in the back of the net. So they'll be looking for somebody, I think, to introduce that they can, that can be the kind of the, the jewel in the crown for this Wellington Phoenix team to really get them humming uh, as they start moving into the substantive part of the season. It's quite a, a nice little, uh, I guess, revealing of young talent in that uh, FFA Cup win over West United during the week, though. That was, that was better news. Uh, absolutely, and a, and a great bounce back. So I imagine there would have been some frustration in the change room after the game. Uh, and it's one of those things that you can really dwell on, poor refereeing, uh, and it can give you a bit of a hangover. We didn't see that at all. Uh, Ufu Kelly rolled in um, the refreshments. He got the young players in as part of a rotation for the FFA Cup game against Western United. And the young players really stood up. So the likes of Curtis Mogg, uh, since Simmons, they made their debut in uh, the FFA Cup. Then Ben Wayne popping up with that goal again. Obviously someone that we're used to, but it's very easy to forget that he's still, I think, 19 years old, Smitty. So um, the young brigade did really well. Ben Old again showing that he is a old head on young shoulders. He looks like if Ben Wayne's referred to as David Ball's first son, I think we can refer to Ben Old as his second son. Uh, they, uh, they mm. just looks professional. Um, and I think the other one for me was Nicholas Kennington. He got given the start. Um, we've seen Ufu Kelly recruit really well. He's the latest cab off the rank uh, coming in from Italy, and he looks to be a nice cog to fit into this machine. Uh, let's look at, uh, we'll stay on the subject of the Phoenix men, uh, initially anyway, uh, the match-up against Newcastle tomorrow night. Yeah, double-header tomorrow, really looking forward to it. It would have been great to um, get on the mic or, or be in the studio to cover this one um, as part of the Sky Sports team. But uh, we've still got a double-header, which is really exciting for the uh, football team. So uh, Newcastle are a bit of an enigma at the moment. Um, Arthur Pappas uh, was the assistant coach for Ange Postacoglu, who's now at Celtic. He's a disciple. He loves um, everything uh, about the team that Ange has put down. So he's really focused on creating an attacking team in Newcastle so far this year. And they have, uh, have they've got flaws defensively, so there should be some things for the Wellington fans to exploit, but expect an exciting game, and one that's like a really high-tempo ball fizzing around the park. So, again, I think the Phoenix should be targeting this game as one in which they can pick up uh, three points, um, and one that they definitely should be able to pick up um, at least a point from. So, the Phoenix should come away from this game on Friday with something, but it'll be an exciting one from the looks of things. Jacob, we had a great chat this morning with uh, the head coach of the Women's Phoenix uh, and Gemma Lewis, uh, just 31 years of age yourself with a, a really young squad. Uh, last week, of course, uh, it looked as if they were going to get a hiding first up and kept the clean sheet uh, and uh, inspired everybody. So uh, that, that's, uh, that looks, it's a really good story in New Zealand football uh, un- unfolding. Absolutely. And... Not just uh, two things from that. Jim and Lewis makes me feel really old. I haven't found out that she's 31 as a professional coach. Yeah. And then the second um, is the disrespect that was shown towards the Phoenix. I think that was 34 to 1 pickup or win against Western Sydney. So if somebody uh, hadn't quite got the numbers right um, over in Australia from the betting side of things, um, they were 8 to 1 for a draw. So hopefully some people got on that. Uh, but 
I'd love to get your take on this, but I'm going to flip it on you. I mean, I'm, I love the fact that they're able to harness their emotions last week um, to go out and put in a really complete 90 minutes. But professional sport is always about the grinding, being able to go back to back, week to week. And I think that's the mm-hmm. challenge that North has got, is getting the players used to um, going and preparing for a game each week. It's not a one-off on international, uh, and they'll need to get up to that level and stay there. So do you have any thoughts on that, mate? Because I'm, I remember you, you made the call, a quite prophetic call uh, before Brazil versus Germany, where you said the Brazilians are very emotional here. I think they're going to get pumped. Well, well, here's the thing, right? Um, you're right. Um, there's, there's a number of things that come out of it for me. One, um, they will now have a respect from opposition teams they probably weren't expecting to get. So uh, they'll be looking a lot closer at the videos uh, at the opposition of this young uh, Wellington women's Phoenix team. So that's point one. There will be no secrets about them uh, for very long. Uh, the other thing is, too, uh, they're going to have to, at some stage, get over the fact that they are away from home for a long time. The realisation of that will set in, uh, if, particularly if results start to go slightly against them. Uh, so there, there is uh, a lot of things that are, that are uh, for me, going to happen uh, in their favour. But they do have uh, one of the great things on their side for me, Jacob, is that they've got a free licence to just play. There are no great expectations. Yeah. It's their first year in. Um, and, and that's a lovely way, as you well know, to be able to play your sport at a serious level uh, with a license of, of, of just getting out there, enjoying it, learning um, and gaining reputation. So um, pluses and minuses for me, but a, a good story uh, all the same. So that's the way I'd answer that. Um, this weekend, EPL, uh, key games, Chelsea, Leeds, Liverpool, Aston Villa, Man City, Wolves, Spurs, Brighton, probably not there. Man U, Norwich uh, on the back of uh, their performance this morning. Against young boys, I think the Leeds Chelsea one is very intriguing. Although you look at the table and see that there are different ends um, of the table at the moment, the the mark of the officer and the way in which he will prepare for a manager like Tuchel, I think, is going to be fascinating. So Bielsa obviously sticks very much to his tenants. He, he wants to play fast football. That's probably worn players out at times, um, but Tuchel. Uh, and the way in which he's going to respond, and he needs to get a bit of a bounce back because the Chelsea team, uh, they've stuck it a little bit, um, both last weekend and during the week, and I think they need a response. So that, for me, is going to be the fixture of the weekend, uh, as you pointed out at the top. And then, as a Liverpool fan, it's really hard to go past the master versus the apprentice vibe that is Jurgen Klopp against Stevie G at Villa Park. Unfortunately, it's not at Anfield, Smithies, but um, it's still going to be a great clash, and uh, one in which I think there's going to be a lot of esteem um, held on both sides. So uh, a little bit of um, pageantry for that one. Uh, I hope Liverpool do get up, though. OK, Jacob, uh, you've been outstanding, of, of course, uh, coming off the bench for us. So I uh, look forward to talking to you again in the future. I'll try and sort out some, uh, a couple of nice... Um, oh, I'm, not, I'm not going, I'm not going <laughs> Coleraine for you, mate. Hey, we're, we're not that oh. close to what we're talking... We're not... Uh, Sarah maybe, but we're not talking Coleraine here. We're not that close, all right? Oh, he's me, but maybe if I improve the performance, maybe we start off with the gimlets and then we just work our way up. Is that fair? You were good, you were good, but not that good. All right, so um, <laughs> just don't get too, don't, don't get too expectant. Uh, we'll catch you next time, mate. Thank you very much for, for your input this morning. Cheers, <laughs> Jacob Spoonley. There, uh, wonderful knowledge of football. Uh, those guys that are into football, when they're into it, uh, man, they are into it, and their knowledge is endless. It, it seems. Uh, 11.16 here on SENZ. Um, we'll be uh, talking about other matters. Uh, we've got a, a Stump Smithy opportunity coming up. 
um, later uh, in, uh, well, it's not that far away, actually, in about uh, 10, 11 minutes' time, uh, and then uh, a pacing for purpose as well. So plenty before we get to Staffy at midday. 7.22, I text him from Craig saying, Hi, Smithy, I think your $500 bonus bet is solid. Uh, I do note, though, that after all your success with golf, you've gone elsewhere. Good luck to whoever wins it. Yeah, I looked at the golf market this weekend. It's a funny one, really. It's a, a pairs competition, uh, and I, I really didn't have the confidence to, to have a crack there, and it's very limited as well with the options. So uh, I stayed away from it, Craig, to be honest. So I've gone uh, for the horse that everyone is talking about, uh, and that is, of course, this Wolverine out of the Roy, Royden Bergeson stable, and uh, Danielle Johnson will uh, have the responsibility of riding it, so I hope she doesn't let our winner down. And of course, uh, John, can you just reiterate, please, uh, how people uh, can have an opportunity to be part of this bet? Absolutely. Yep, Brian alongside me, a brilliant panellist, has laid on the bet, so it is on, Smithy. And so the TAB will post Smithy's bet up on the TAB Facebook page this afternoon. Right. So all you need to do is go to the TAB Facebook page, find Smithy's bet that he's made with the $500 bonus bets, and then just make a comment and get yourself in the draw or involved, and they will pick someone out, the TAB, and that lucky person will receive all the profits minus that $500 initial outlay. Uh, yeah, if you are successful, Smithy, surely I can't see England recovering. Um, the weather would be the only thing that would stop Aussie from winning, I would say, Smithy. And in terms of horse racing, I don't really know. So I'll just back your knowledge on that one. Yeah, well, I'm going on the on the fact that um, Butch Castles likes it. Um, the boys like it. It was uh, it was the preferred option last week when the race should have been run at uh, Trentham, and they're, uh, they're making the effort even after a little bit of uh, controversial uh, decision making. They are making the effort to travel the horse uh, north. Uh, and so, therefore, I, I think that uh, it's worthy of it, and I, I think it's probably the best horse in the race. So, uh, that is it, and it's a feature race as well. And you know, that are all trying when the money's up. So, uh, that's that. And I don't think Australia uh, will succeed. Uh, when I say seed, uh, I mean give up the advantage that they've already accumulated in this Test match. Uh, England uh, will be hoping, like heck, that that pitch plays a lot of tricks uh, when it starts. Uh, we're led to believe. Uh, on time today, um, our spies in Australia have come through and said the beautiful sunny morning there. So uh, that'll be drying the pitch out because the heat in Brisbane, man, it, it gets warm and it does dry out quickly. And I wouldn't be surprised towards the end of this test match if some cracks appear. Uh, so all round, I think uh, England handed up an opportunity there uh, to uh, dominate this test match. Uh, speaking up of handing up or getting rid of, uh, Canterbury uh, have uh, made a big call straight away at the end of their uh, NPC season, which was not what they wanted it to be. Uh, they've decided, John, to uh, get rid of that uh, co-coaching model of Reuben Thorne and Mark Brown and shop around. Yeah, it's a, it's a weird one, isn't it? I think we've only really seen co-coaches for the women's sevens, and that worked really well um, for them with Alan Bunting and Corey Sweeney. Um, but not f in 15-a-side men's rugby have we seen co-coaches, I don't think, ever, Smithy. So it was always a strange arrangement with Reuben Thorne and Mark Brown. We had Mark Brown on the show this year. It was a great chat you had with mm. him and seemed like a, a really nice guy. And But you asked him, didn't you, yourself, what were the roles of each person and did it seem clear to you who was really in charge of the team? I think, uh, you know, you look at each other. Uh, the thing about having dual roles and dual responsibilities is you can... Uh, you can start splitting, um, I won't say blame, but you can start splitting ownership 
Uh, and and then, uh, then you get into this confusing uh, area where one man has to be answerable to the whole scenario. And I, I would have thought perhaps that might have been Reuben Thorne. Uh, but no, may, maybe not. Uh, and it certainly it didn't gel for them, uh, whether they had the player power that they've had in uh, previous years, whether they just couldn't get that uh, recipe that Canterbury sides have had. Uh, time will tell. So they're starting to shop around. Normally they've been pretty faithful, haven't they, to their own in terms of looking for coaches, whether it be the Crusaders or the Canterbury NPC side. So uh, I wonder if they're going to, John, go just a little further afield uh, when they throw the net out. Yeah, they've done really well with local coaches. They're normally local legends. Of course, this is where Scott Robertson won a million titles in a row uh, with a great side. He had like Richie Moonga and Matt Todd and Ryan Crotty and his NPC side. So I wonder where they will go next. Do they go to a safe pair of hands? What's Mark Hammett doing these days? A good Canterbury man? Um wouldn't mind uh, seeing him with a top job again. Um, but, yeah, will they go for a, a younger coach? It'll be quite interesting, and interesting to see that Reuben Thorne and Mark Brown won't put their hand up uh, to get that job again. So they are done with Canterbury Rugby. I mean, Reuben Thorne, one of the favourite sons of the Red and Blacks, um, and, and he won't be part of their setup anymore. So maybe back to Christ College for him or high school old boys. I'm not sure what Reuben Thorne will do next, Smithy. No, I don't either. Um, whether he will uh, stay with Christ College, he's certainly there. Um, I would imagine he'll hang on there. So, uh, yeah, interesting to see what happens uh, there in Canterbury. World Rugby Dream Team of the Year name too, uh, John. Uh, so if we uh, go from uh, back to front, we look at uh, Stuart Hogg at fullback, Will Jordan, uh, Lacanio Arm from South Africa, Samu Karevi, uh, Makasoli Mampipi from uh, South Africa, and then Bowden Barrett at 10, uh, DuPont, everyone's choice, I think, at halfback from France, then Artie Savera at 8, Michael Hooper at 7, uh, Sia Khaleesi uh, at six, uh, Eben Etzbeth uh, at five with uh, Maro Atolje. I think that's uh, pretty well uh, respected there, although some might have said Sam Whitelock still had a great year. Uh, Targ Furlon, Malcolm Marks and Wynn Jones, the front row. What did you make of that, John? Well, I ended the year thinking that the Northern Hemisphere were on top of the Southern Hemisphere. But looking at this team, I'm counting 10 Southern Hemisphere players. Uh, so that would point to me that World Rugby still think that we're the best players in the world down here in the Southern Hemisphere. But I thought results-wise, Smithy, I thought the uh, the Northern Hemisphere sides were probably better. So if I'm Wales, especially winning the Six Nations uh, earlier in the year and I only get one player at loosehead prop, I'm probably scratching my head a little bit and going, oh, OK, all right. So just on reputation, I think uh, a lot of these guys are getting preferred. One from France. One from France. Uh, DuPont as an absolute given, but only one from France, uh, what rated uh, probably the best side in the world currently. Yeah, no, nah, agree with you there. Um, and maybe a bit like us down in the Southern Hemisphere, maybe World Rugby just don't watch enough Six Nations to be able to say, oh, yeah, he's better than him, he's better than him. So, yeah, I, I found it quite interesting. Um, the Bowden Barrett at 10, um, did he have mm. that goody? Yeah, I think he definitely moved ahead of Richie Moonga in the picking order, but was he the world's best number 10 on the planet? Oh, I'm not so sure, but there were a lot of comings and goings, weren't there, with Johnny Sexton injured, Gareth Anscombe was injured for his side, uh, and I think Intermac, who played so well for France, he must have had a bit of an inside running there, I think. He's a fantastic player, Smithy. The only thing I like about it um, is the fact that... Um, uh, a couple of those English packs, uh, English backs haven't made it, uh, and I, I, I applaud that uh, selection. They didn't get anyone in, in uh, the, the back line. They just got Mara Watoji in the, the engine room, so I, I don't mind that. Farrell in particular, I didn't want to see him in there. 
So uh, I'm happy about that, uh, John. Uh, yeah, interesting, isn't it? Uh, we can't really sort out who uh, the best number 10 is in New Zealand, but the world rugby people can sort it out on our behalf. So, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, keep an, we'll keep an eye on that going, uh, going forward. Uh, they won't play anyone. It's just the dream team of the year, but always uh, good for a conversation piece. It's 11.30 here on SENZ. That means it's time for Trudy with the news, and it's also time for you to pick up the phone, dial 0800 150 We're back to 50 bucks today from the TAB. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. Yep, every day at 11.30, just after the news, you can win 50 bucks from the TAB and some Sleep Drops Daytime Revive, New Zealand's only specialist range of sleep and stress support supplements if you get three quiz questions right about sport. And you also get to choose the category, but if you get one wrong, then Smithy can come in and stump you. And today we have got Joe from Palmy North. How are you, Joe? Yeah, not too bad. How are we? Yeah, I'm very well. Are you getting into the Christmas spirit yet? Are you starting to hear a few carols and singing along and doing all your shopping and all that stuff? Oh, definitely. I work um, work at a local petrol station uh, down here in Palmy, so unfortunately I have to put up with the Christmas music all day, but but yeah. (laughs) Oh, mate, I used to work in a supermarket and it drives you mad, doesn't it? It's on a playlist too of about 15 songs, so it's, yeah, you hear the same one about three or four times a day. Oh, Joe, well, I hope we can reward you with 50 bucks from the TAB and some sleep drops then. Oh, uh, the categories. So do I. Yeah, I bet. The categories for you today are football slash soccer, cricket, or basketball. Do you like any of those? Uh, yeah, football dash soccer. All right, all right. Smithy, how are you feeling about this one? I don't mind. I, I look. I, I don't mind. Just, just keep it coming. Whatever right. happens, yeah. I like it's it. Been a good week. <laughs> so many stumpings this week. Threatening how many you got in your actual test career, Smithy. Yeah. No. <laughs> shut up. <laughs> <laughs> well, if Hadley's taken all the wickets all the time, you can't really stump off don't the bowling of Hadley. Don't give Tom Bracewell, Stephen Bock, Evan Gray any more fuel. Will you just get on with the quiz? <laughs> yeah. Fair call. All right. Question number one, Joe. Who is the leading goal scorer in the English Premier League so far this season? Ooh, um, Mo Salah. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. Quite the resurgence. Yeah, yeah, Smithy, you would have known that. Yeah, uh, taking time out from his uh, athletics, I I think he's had a good year. (laughs) Mo Farah. (laughs) (laughs) Question number two, Joe. Which team is bottom of the EPL ladder? Oh, um, Everton. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Said probably by a Liverpool supporter, I'm imagining, Joe, saying Everton. (laughs) Uh, Smithy, a chance for a stumping. Yeah, okay, Joe. Uh, Here's my thing on this. I think um, I think Burnley are in there. Uh, I think Everton are in there, but you didn't. You, they, they're not obviously not the correct answer. I think Newcastle are under a threat as well. I, I'll go Burnley. One of the worst things I have ever seen oh. done on a cricket field. Still alive, Joe. They're all tied on ten points. Burnley, Newcastle, and Norwich are the bottom team on goal difference. So Norwich, the Canaries, uh, they're such a yo-yo team, aren't they? All right, Joe. Down to the last question. You should know this one if you've been listening to the show today. This is for the fifty bucks and the sleep drops. Who do the men's and women's Phoenix play tomorrow? Um, 
uh, Newcastle Jets. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. Head go back in the memory a wee bit. Could hear the cogs churning, but well done to you, mate. 50 bucks from the TAB. It'll make you happy at the petrol station. And those Sleep Drops Daytime Revive, which will get you up for a long shift as well. They're for all ages, lifestyle stages, and sleeping challenges. Take as directed. Read the label Sleep Drops Auckland. Congrats. Brilliant, guys. Happy to hear that. Hey, hey Joe, just before you go, and you're, you're, I mean, you're such a champion on this Thursday, you couldn't give us a verse of your favourite Christmas song, could you? That you know the words, you've been listening to them all day. Oh, look, I'm a bit tone deaf, guys, so I won't put you through that. <laughs> How about you, though, Smithy? <laughs> no, just sort of a bit of a jingle bells or something along along those lines would have been apt. Uh, but uh, hey, that's okay. We won't put you on the I'll, spot. So I'll tell you hey, what, if you if you join me, I'll um, I'll sing too. No, no, it's all right. I don't think we'll put that okay. through that at all. Okay, um, but I, no, I can't no worries. tell you we'll that. We'll leave it at that. Uh, yeah, you got me back. Yeah. Uh, Touche. Uh, enjoy. Enjoy, Joey. Have a good day at the pump, as they say. Uh, and um, uh, stay in touch. Uh, look forward to hearing from you again. Uh, stay And stay yeah, on the line too. Brian will get your details. Yeah, cheers. Okay, 11.37 here on SENZ. And, uh, yeah, uh, John Day and I will be uh, giving you, uh, I think it's pacing for purpose very shortly. Uh, we've got some catching up to do here. So we're, we've got uh, a horse with a bit of, a bit of value later on today at Winton. That's coming up very shortly here. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Get Nasser on the phone. He is in another orbit. Lazarus does it again. SENZ is pacing for purpose. Thanks to Harness Racing New Zealand. Well, we're deep into this convo- uh, competition. Every Thursday, each show gets uh, 50 bucks each to place on a harness race. Uh, any winnings will be given to the charity of the show's choice. Ours uh, is the Women's Refuge. Uh, we are up to uh, around 435 bucks, so we need a little bit of help. We've been backing basically favourites, but today we've been uh, given a horse worth uh, a bit of value. So we're going to Winton, uh, Winter's Harness today, uh, race three, number four, the High Commander. Race three, number four, the High Commander, uh, set to go at one twenty-two this afternoon, and the value for that is around about six bucks at the moment. So that would be nice, three hundred dollars to add uh, to our total would put some pressure on the drive team who are way out in front uh, at this stage. Uh, so uh, join them with us, uh, pacing for purpose uh, on that one. Uh, look, we've got two or three texts in uh, this morning. Not a lot of people uh, wanting to. Uh, to really to take part in uh, America's Cup discussion, which is fine, uh, but it's a great barometer to tell me that you don't care. Um, and, and that may be a, a lesson in itself uh, to the hierarchy trying to sort the whole deal out. Uh, how many people actually do care about it? Uh, Smithy, what do you think of Dravid and co replacing Virat Kohli as uh, ODI captain with Rohit Sharma? I'm sure he would have been reluctant to give up the captaincy seat uh, considering they're hosting the World Cup. Yeah, it's a bit cool. It, it is a big call and maybe the first real signal that we've seen uh, from Rahul Dravid coming in as coach. Every coach likes to make a statement. Well, that's a powerful one uh, when you uh, take uh, anything away from Virat Kohli on a national stage. Uh, yeah, and also, uh, of course, they do have uh, a World Cup uh, not too far away. So interesting. Very, very interesting indeed. I'm not sure Kohli was party to it, whether it was taken out of his hands. Uh, but you can expect a reaction 
uh, from him at some stage, hopefully with the bat. And maybe that's what they're looking for now. They're not getting enough run production out of Virat Kohli. Uh, and maybe that Rahul Dravid has just said, look, uh, we need Rahul, uh, we need you as a captain, sure, uh, but I think we need you as a batsman more. Uh, and that has been a bit of a stumbling block for them. So interesting. We'll see how, how that one uh, plays out in the future. Uh, John from uh, Canterbury has come in and said, I'm a, a Canterbury rugby supporter. Great news, they've finally seen sense and will get better coaches underperforming in the last two years. So there's a bit of feeling down there in Christchurch. And Zane has come in uh, to uh, John and said, look, for me, quick point on the mental health topic. That has been in the news again of late. As someone who's had challenges over the years, uh, I don't understand this insistent on, insistence on using the term vulnerable in reference to someone's acknowledgement of their mental health issues. That won't encourage many men to come out and talk about their demons. Surely we should refer to showing strength rather than vulnerability. I'm sure, I sure don't think I was being vulnerable in confronting my issues. I feel like I was being strong. Yeah, as always from Zane, uh, quite a deep and meaningful communication there. Uh, but certainly, John, uh, it is, it is uh, an interesting one, this, uh, this one involving uh, the women's team. We've only heard uh, from one side of the story so far. Um, I'm not quite sure if we're going to hear from the coaching side of things or whether New Zealand Rugby have said, right, let's just do our thing, sort this thing out in-house. Uh, and uh, we might make some revelations a little bit later on in the piece. But uh, what they don't need is an open spat. Uh, that's one thing. And, and Glenn Moore has stayed out of that, if it is indeed Glenn Moore. Yeah, we've only seen that reported by the Herald, I think. Um, and yeah, I guess it's when players these days, Smithy, they all have Instagram and they're all uh, on social media and they've got the opportunity to put themselves and their feelings out there, which I applaud, which is awesome. Be yourself and show the world who you are. Um, but at the same time, Glenn Moore doesn't have Instagram. He doesn't have Twitter, but he's seeing his name in the newspaper a lot. So I'm happy to leave this one with New Zealand Rugby, with their investigation, and see what happens from here. You're exactly right. What it doesn't need is a public slanging match. So I think we'll just leave this one where it sits, Smithy, and see what happens and what comes out of it. What we do want is just uh, stronger teams uh, together uh, and, and all the support that is needed around athletes. And I think they did have that at the Black Ferns. Um, and, and I just think they'll see this and be like, right, what suits most people doesn't suit everyone in a team and they'll take that on board how they can maybe do better with individuals but we'll leave that to New Zealand Rugby Smithy. And what it is though it's it's, it's, it's in cycling as well and and the other sports gymnastics swimming etc we're also we're in now finding that um, there's going to be a line a definite line in the sand isn't there there's going to be an expectancy somehow uh, about uh, standards now and what is what is permissible and what is not, and uh, it may even become uh, sort of a, a, a constitutional thing. Whether you know when you uh, are appointed as a coach, there is a really great stipulation that you know the line that you can or can not go to, um, and and that in itself may deter a lot of coaches who have their own style and actually applying for some of these positions. Yeah, that's a great point that you make. I think uh, a lot of this is being athlete-driven now. These um, uh, inquiries and reports and everything, I think athletes want a bigger say in how they're coached. It's not my way or the highway from coaches anymore. And the guys who have been in trouble are the old-school guys. I guess Mark Hager at the hockey had an old-school attitude. I think Glenn Moore's got an old-school attitude, which can work great for some players, uh, but not so good for others. So I think this is all being athlete-driven 
Smithy, which is a, a very new, isn't it, compared back to your day? Um, I'm sure the coach mm. was in charge, or maybe cricket is different with the captain, but back in uh, your playing days, the coach was definitely had the first and last say. Here's one uh, yeah, you might be interested in, John. It's quite a, a nice little story, actually. It's a, uh, we got mowed over by Australia at uh, the Basin Reserve one day. It was a full house, great expectation. Uh, we batted first, uh, a little bit like yesterday, and we got rolled for around about 60 or 62, which was totally unacceptable. It was an appalling batting performance. It was a very strong Australian side, but it was effectively a big letdown for a huge audience, and this is back uh, in the early 80s. And, and uh, what happened was uh, we didn't have a hands-on coach there. We had a convener of selectors, uh, Frank Cameron, and he said to us, uh, fellas, um, not good. Uh, this can't continue. Uh, and, and then, of course, uh, what happened was we went back to our hotel. We are staying by the uh, Wellington Air, Airport. I vividly remember it was called the White Heron back in those days. And the chairman, the chairman of the board, called a meeting, a team meeting as well. Uh, and uh, he came in and uh, read us the Riot Act. He gave it to us, uh, Bob Vance, in a very, very stern fashion about how we'd let everyone down. And it was totally unacceptable. Went around a few players and just, uh, and it was, you know, it was quite revealing, actually. Uh, and at the end of it, uh, Frank Cameron said, uh, basically, he stood up in front of us and said, here's the thing, lads, here is the thing. Uh, if you keep playing like this, I'm going to lose my job. But rest assured, a number of you are going to lose yours first. <laughs> that was the convener of selectors. <laughs> oh, that is classic. So if I'm going, I'm taking some of you blokes down with me first. Yeah. Don't you worry about that. Worked. <laughs> It we're worked. Go, we're going down. We're going down. Yeah, we played a lot better after that, funnily enough. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, uh, speaking of playing cricket and playing better, that's what England have to do, John. And so uh, what we're about 70 minutes away uh, from play, starting on day two at the Gabba. The players will all obviously be there by now. Some uh, the Australian players will probably be in the nets uh, and uh, getting prepared by net bowlers and a couple of the Australian bowlers who, let's face it, didn't uh, have to uh, expend themselves too much yesterday. Uh, so that'll be uh, perhaps the likes of Warner and Harris. Maybe uh, Labuschagne and Smith will be having a net. Uh, some of the English batsmen perhaps will uh, take an opportunity to be in the nets as well. And their backup bowlers, the likes of Jimmy Anderson and Stuart Broad, will be giving them a working over as well. So everyone will uh, be doing their thing. Uh, there'll be guys uh, having high catches, slip catches uh, out in the middle. It'll be steamy hot uh, this morning at the Gabba. But the prospect of uh, the game for England is this. It's in the hands for me of of Wokes, Robinson and Wood. The three quick bowlers, do they have it to match what happened yesterday from Stark, Hazelwood and Cummins? If they haven't, uh, then Australia will get a big lead. They've got to get early wickets in the first hour. They've got to get two or three wickets in that first hour. Uh, otherwise, the heat will kick in. Uh, they'll be a little bit demoralised mentally and Australia sees that like a shark in bloody water. They absolutely love those opportunities. So uh, let's see how that unfolds. Uh, can Robinson, Wood and Wokes and maybe a little bit of Stokes as well, uh, capitalise on the conditions or not. 11.52 here on SENZ. Staffy next.